I, I learned about adult life really young. At a really young age, I learned that care and love was temporary. I didn't want to leave school because that meant I didn't have to be home wherever home may have been, right? No matter how disruptive I was, no matter how many times I cursed or hurt a teacher's feelings, they just wouldn't quit on me. The topic for today's podcast is Activating Possibility with Jonathan Grant Brown. Unpacking Education is brought to you by Avid.org. Avid believes in seeing the potential of every student. To learn more about Avid, visit their website at avid.org. Welcome to Unpacking Education, the podcast where we explore current issues and best practices in education. I'm Rena Clark. I'm Paul Beckerman. And I'm Winston Benjamin. We are educators. And we're here to share insights and actionable strategies. Education is our passport to the future. Our quote for today is from Jason Pockrant in his book, The Confident Father's Guidebook. He says, anything is possible once you believe you are worthy of achieving it. All right, Paul, you're going to start us off this time. Well, this makes me immediately think of the action statement that logically follows this, which is, how can I help my students believe that they are worthy of success, right? I do believe that that's an important step. It's like a switch that we need to flip, and we need to do everything we can to help our kids flip that switch and believe that, that they really are worthy of success. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was interesting because just this week... It's in a bit of a different context, but I was just reading and it came to light something about a person's power really comes from knowing themselves. Mm. And then how, when you really know yourself, also understanding, knowing that you are worthy. So, but it sounds easy, but can often be (laughs) difficult, right? Um, But I am really excited about today and today's topic about activating possibility with our special guest, Jonathan Grant Brown. So welcome, Jonathan. Hello, everybody. Really excited. (laughs) Thanks for letting me join you. And we're just hoping you can take a moment to introduce yourself to our amazing listeners. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm Jonathan Grant Brown. Um, Depending on where you know me from, I might be Jay, I might be John, I even might be Ziggy. Um, in college, everyone called me Ziggy. There's a whole mm. crazy story behind that. Um, but people tend to nickname me um, as I get to know groups of people. Uh, so You alluded to it a little bit that your name has kind of changed. And there's a really interesting story about your name that gives us a little insight into your life story. Yeah. Can you maybe tell us a little bit more about that? You got us interested now. Absolutely. Yeah. So Jonathan Graham Brown is a name that I got to choose. It's a really cool, uh, important name to me. And in and, and the work that I do in education, I'm usually introduced as Jonathan Graham Brown. But it didn't start off that way. I was born Jonathan Carl Grant in, in high school when you get at least in the state of Texas, when you get your letterman, it's really important to kind of show everybody that you're, you have your letterman and you put your last name really big on the back of your, your letterman. And so growing up in high school, everyone called me Grant, John Grant. And so my foster parents who had been with since the age of 12, right before my 18th birthday adopted me and I got to get their last name. And so when I graduated and walked across the stage, they said, Jonathan 
Brown. And everyone was like, Jonathan Brown, that's, that's not your name. What? And so because no one knew, none of my friends knew that I was in foster care, I just kind of fabricated it. I was like, well, y'all always called me by my middle name. And what I was able to do when I got adopted was to take my last name and move it to my middle name. So it became Jonathan Grant Brown. And uh, wow. yeah, it's a, it's a really important name to me now. That's a cool oh, question. And it's a really nice lead into our, our story today because really we want this episode to be about your story, Jonathan, because we consider you like a success story. And, you know, you started started off, you know, a little bit of a world of challenges. And yeah. we think you have done phenomenal things. You're, you're a great role model. You're a, a great asset to us here at the Avid organization. So let's start telling that story. Let's go back in time. Um, to your early life, you know, what was school like for you before you thought success was ever possible to you? What was your life like at that point, you know, the early days? Yeah. So a lot of people would, a lot of educators, I think would say that Jonathan hated school. Like I hated school as a little kid, but in all honesty, I didn't want to leave school because that meant I didn't have to be home wherever home may have been. Right. And so I spent a, a great deal of time trying to stay at school or find things to get involved in or be, you know, around so that I didn't have to go back home. But there was a lot of, <laughs> there was a lot of, a lot of struggle um, as a youngster for me. And for some reason, there was always those teachers that just liked the bad kid, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I recall being in elementary school, Miss Tucker was my fourth grade teacher. And she was the one who really helped introduce me into the love of reading because she would change her voice with each character when she would do circle time. And I just felt, I just like got captivated and of course, as a youngster who struggled with reading, one of the most embarrassing things that you could ask me to do was popcorn read in front of the whole class. And so, of course, that would be a point where I would cause a disrupt, disruption, kick my chair, flip my desk, get kicked out of class so I didn't have to read in front of the group of kiddos and get made fun of. But one day, Ms. Tucker came up to me and she said, why don't you try to change your voice when you read? And by putting on an accent or a voice, I was able to slow down my thinking as I looked at the words on the page and I was able to articulate every word clearly. And so kids started to form circles around me during reading time and I would read and change my voice for the different characters. So Ms. Tucker, instead of, you know, kicking that disturbing little kid out of his classroom, out of her classroom, she helped me kind of find a love for, for reading. And, you know, honestly, throughout my entire elementary middle school, I, I always ran into these teachers that again, just for some reason loved the bad kid. And, um, as I got older, I started to kind of look at it through the lens of interruptions, how these different educators interrupted my life because I absolutely didn't want it. I hated it. I fought it. I ran from it. Uh, but for some reason, they consistently and unwaveringly interrupted me because they saw potential and they wanted to kind of nurture that. Um, in middle school, it was Amy Reynolds. She was one of those teachers that, you know, you know, if you've ever been in class and things were kind of hectic and crazy and you're trying to get the teacher's attention, you go, hey, mom, I mean... Miss Reynolds, like the first time I had ever did that, it felt more real than any other woman I had called mom in my life because she was she was just an awesome person. She had kids that were about my age. She was always talking about the different things that they were doing on the weekend. I just felt like she would have been a good mom. And I remember being a little kid, always thinking like, man, I bet you're good parents. I bet you got a nice home. I bet it's safe there. And I'd always have that scenario going in my head, but I wouldn't allow myself to get close to people, especially teachers, because I hated the feeling you felt when you got pulled away from somebody you cared about. And as a kid who was experiencing foster care, everything was temporary. One of the most common like phrases you would hear is you don't have to live here. You can pack your duffel bag and you can leave. And so 
a little kid whose life revolves around this idea of you can pack that blue bag and leave. You can imagine anytime conflict presented itself to me, it was like, I don't have to be here. I can just take whatever I have and run and leave. And so letting teachers like me was like a bad thing because eventually I was going to like them too. And then I was going to get in trouble and get moved and I would never see them again. And so Miss Reynolds was one of those teachers that I didn't, she always looked out for me and always tried to cover for me, but I was the most disruptive in her class because I didn't want her to like me too much. I didn't want to feel that love and then eventually get ripped away from it. So that's some interesting insight because, you know, sometimes we, we see kids in our classes that are acting up and, you know, they're not being the model student and we just think they're being trouble. But you're saying that that really is not the motivation behind some of this, this behavior. No, a big, yeah, absolutely. A big part of, well, first of all, I mean, there's, there's a little bit more to unpack into like the, the mindset that I was in as a youngster. I learned at a really young age, the kind of trauma and damage that can happen. I, I learned about adult life really young. So when, when my little brother and I were really little, uh, my mom took us to a park and we were hanging out and doing what little kids do, you know, having a good time. Tiger and I were always playing like Power Rangers and stuff. Any, any game that we could play that had to do with battle or war. And uh, she said she was going to go to a grocery store to get some snacks for a picnic and she never came back. And so at a really young age, that concept of you said you were going to do this, you said you were going to take care of me, you said you were going to be right back and you weren't got instilled in my head. And so we spent two nights at that park kind of just waiting for mom to come back. Cause you know how, when you're really little and your parents tell you, when I get back, you better be right here. Where had you better have been <laughs> right, right there? You can't move. And so we just stayed in the park as long as we could until obviously some authorities came and picked us up and figured out what was going on. And at a really young age, I learned that care and love was temporary. Hmm. And so it was easier for me to be disrupt, disruptive and destructive. It was easier for me to kick and scream and curse and fight and run away because that's how I defended my safety. That's how I defended my, my security. Mm-hmm. So how did that change? I mean, you kind of alluded to it a little bit, you know, yeah. with, with the teacher that you loved in middle school, but then you still acted out in her class. Um, how, how did that switch flip for you and how did um the door to possibility kind of get opened for jonathan grant brown something that really resonated with me as a youngster i didn't realize until i was older was just this consistent and unwavering determination by educators to just keep helping no matter how disruptive i was no matter how many times i cursed or hurt a teacher's feelings they just wouldn't quit on me and it, it started in elementary with Miss Tucker and Mr. Mosier. Mr. Mosier was the teacher who was the in the the advanced math class in fifth grade. He was like the smart kid math class teacher, but he was also the ISS teacher. And so I knew him because of ISS. And he'd always tell me, you're going to be in my class next year. And guess what? I was in his class next year, but not ISS. I was in his advanced math class. Right. And, and you know, Mr. Healy was the principal at Willow Springs Elementary. I knew Mr. Healy because I lived in her office. I really thought one day. She was going to offer me coffee because that's what she did when people came into the office. I spent so much time in there. And Mr. Helio taught me how to file and use the printer. And <laughs> she just started like teaching me these skills because I was constantly in her office and she'd put me to work. And, and as I'm working, she talked to me about what led me to where I was at and what I was, the choices that I made. And I, I tell you these stories because the shift wasn't a moment in time. The shift wasn't one person who 
loved me enough or put up with my stuff enough. The, the shift was a, a systematic approach to ensuring kiddos like me always had another opportunity in front of them. And if it wasn't for educators in the system that was put in place and in KISD, Colleen Independent School District, of ensuring that opportunities were consistently dripped throughout our pathway, then I would have fallen off and I would have taken a different path. But when I got to high school, I was in pre-AP, I was in pre-AP Algebra 2. And my teacher, his name was David Dibel. And he's, he's, he's passed on, but he was, a, he was a really goofy teacher. And he knew he was goofy, but he also knew that he was going to teach you Algebra 2. <laughs> and he was good <laughs> at it. And so he told us to call him D-Square. So Mr. D-Square came up to me one day and he's like, there's this class at, at Shoemaker. It's called Avid. And it's about getting kids an opportunity for college and their careers. And I really think you'd be good at it. You have so much potential, Jonathan. And by like this point in life, I got really, really good at telling people what I thought they wanted to hear. So I was like, yeah, Mr. D squared, I got you. I'm going to take care of it. You know, what I figured I would do is like not go to this avid interview, pretend like I did and then go to BNC lunch. Right. It would be good. It'd be a great day for me. And so in the course <laughs> of trying to skip, right. And, and go to these lunches. I just crumbled up the application and threw it away. And the next day I got back to school and he had that avid application taped to my locker with a sticky note that was like, you will go to this avid interview and I will see you in there. Right. D squared. And I'm like, this guy's bugging. So I go and I get into the avid classroom and it's so weird to say her first name, Paige Tallman. Miss, Miss Tallman was her name. She's Miss Wood now, but Miss Tallman was her name when I was in high school. She, as an educator, I know what she did. As a kiddo, I had no idea what she was doing. But from the time that I stepped into her classroom, she was building relationship. She was, she was cultivating this environment where I would feel safe, I would feel confident, I would feel comfortable, and I would open up. And I had no idea that she was doing this. But in the middle of our conversation, I told somebody the biggest secret of my life that I had never told anyone outside of the foster care system. Because she asked me, what do you want to do with your life? And I knew to say, I want to go to college, graduate, get a good job and make lots of money because that's the stereotypical right answer. But I didn't tell her that. I said, you know, when I, when I graduate, my life is over. I don't even have a family when I turn 18. And I proceeded to explain to her that I was a foster kid. And in the middle of that conversation, she started talking about this place called college. And for me, she, she explained it in a way that a light bulb went off in my head. You see, in college, they have dorms. So that was a place to sleep and they had cafeterias, which was a place to eat. And so in my little head as a freshman in high school, college was the place that I could go and I could pretend to everybody there that I was normal. I was a regular kid who came from a great family with loving parents. And all I had to do was make good grades and take these hard classes. And, and then I would get to college and I could write my own history. I could write my own story. And then I would be accepted. I would be loved. I would be okay. And I could break this cycle of generational poverty and generational foster care and generational abuse. And as a freshman in high school, I believed her. I said, you promise? She's like, yeah. I was like, all right, cool. Let's do it. And it wasn't like an overnight change. It wasn't like I went from this kid who was slinging and banging and doing all kinds of craziness to this perfect honor roll kiddo. But by the time I graduated, I graduated with honors. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, Paul, today I own quite a few nice suits and ties. But it was a journey of these phenomenal educators consistently and unwaveringly interrupting my life, taking me off the path that I was on and ensuring that I was on a path to success. Miss Reynolds, 
in eighth grade knew that if I wasn't in her pre-AP algebra one class by eighth grade, I was not on a track for college. I was on a path to alternative school, which eventually would have led to prison, but she put on that track to college. Hmm. You know, it's your story is inspiring to me on a couple levels, Jonathan. One that your, your teachers believed in you and brought out the Jonathan that we know out of you. And second, that you persevered through that because I think there's other people who could just give up too. You know, I would think that it'd be easy to give up. Yeah. I think, I think something that you learn about foster kids is they figure out how to survive. And my, my story is crazy, but you meet other foster youth who have made it out. There are some outrageous stories that'll make you sit back and think, how can we let kids live a life like this? Mm. And foster kids will figure out how to survive. The, the, the challenging thing is, depending on the environment that you're in, you're going to figure out how to survive. I was luckily enough surrounded by people who were guiding me to survive in a very positive, positive and productive way. My little brother, unfortunately ended up in a completely different scenario. Mm. You see, it's frustrating to think that like two brothers can grow up in the same place and have the same thing happen to them. But we wound up in two completely different worlds. I ended up with the Browns who my, 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 at the time my foster dad was retired military. My mother was the director of, of Head Start on, on the base, very well-equipped parents, very well-equipped home, right? You, you could not tell that we were foster kids unless you saw us all 10 of us getting into my dad's big old blue econo line van because it was like the United Nations of kids. It was just all different kinds of kids. Right? <laughs> it was the only time you were like, this family is a little weird. But my little brother ended up in a boy's ranch and then a mental hospital. And then from 16 to 19, he was locked up in prison. And so what's crazy about this, y'all, is May 2010, I was at an AVID conference. I had just graduated with my bachelor's degree. I was at an AVID summer institute sitting at these fancy hotels, eating at these fancy restaurants, talking to all these really important people about my career pathway, where I wanted to go in my future. And I get a call on my cell phone and it's my little brother. He's like, yo, big bro, I'm out. They finally let me out of jail. Can I come live with you? And at that time I was getting ready to transition to grad school and my roommate was gone for the summer. So I was like, yeah, come on in. UTPB, the University of Texas Premier Basin, they had fully furnished apartments. I was like, I got a whole room and a bathroom for you. Come on. And you're going to do what I did. You're going to get a job at the university. You're going to go to school. You're super smart. You're going to do great. And life's going to be perfect for you. And I had no idea how to support formerly incarcerated youth, right? So if you know how to get in trouble and you're in an environment where getting in trouble is a, is the norm, you fall back into those cycle. So he ended up in and out of prison, battling drug addiction, alcoholism. I ended up finishing a master's degree and buying my dream car and buying my first home and then buying my second home, right? Two brothers grow up in the same place, have the same thing happen to them and wind up in two completely different worlds. And as an educator, that's what I think about. How many kiddos that I not interrupt that needed it so badly that may have ended up in the wrong environment, surrounded by the wrong people, making the wrong choices. And I could have been that interruption to take them off the path that they were on and put them on a path to success. Yeah. Thank you for sharing so much of your story. Um, uh, sure. <laughs> kind of along that line, I just, as you said, I don't want to look back so much, but thinking of people in it now who are in the field and we're talking specifically about 
activating possibility for the students we serve, what might be some advice that you would have for them? I think activating possibility begins with ensuring that they're going to get the academic experience that they need to make whatever choices they want to make after high school, right? So like ensuring that they're exposed to courses and experiences that are going to challenge them in a way that they could develop the skills they need to make the right choice. That's the first tier, right? We got to, we got to skill you up so that you can decide which direction you want to go to. Uh, while we're skilling you up, we also got to create experiences for you where you can begin to learn what it's like in this different environment in other environments, right? I always talk about college as thinking of it through the lens of imagining Half of the students at the college, every year for summer break, they took a trip out of the country with their family, right? So they they knew, they had their passport, they knew how to pack their bags, how to get to the airport, how to navigate security, how to find their gate, how to determine how much time they had before they needed to board to get their favorite snack and drink, how to get on the plane and find their seat and comfortably sit down and get ready. They even knew how to activate the movies on their phone so they can watch movies during the flight. The other half of students in college, They never left their zip code. And being successful in college means getting to Japan. Imagine the challenges that are faced by the other group who never left their zip code. Right. So giving them experiences where they can try stuff out and learn it and see it and touch it and feel it. I think in in Avid, we we call that opportunity knowledge. Right. Mm -hmm. Having the opportunity to have this experience and then to gain that knowledge is so valuable. So we talk about giving them the academic rigor or experience so that they're skilled up, giving them those opportunities. And the most important is helping them develop agency, right? Knowing that it's my choice to take the next step. It's my choice to take ownership of this learning. It's my choice to start to define. It goes from compliance to engagement to empowerment. That's what I think a student agency is, is that empowerment where they're starting to decide the trajectory of their learning journey. Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's what students need, I think. And is there something at the beginning of that? Because young Jonathan Brown might not have been ready for that. But what even comes before the compliance can turn into engagement? You know, you've got oh, that relationship, right? <laughs> relationship. Absolutely. That surrounds the whole thing. Right. Is educators, leaders. Even, even even our professional staff on campus, if we know how to go about engaging in positive, effective relationships with students, it's going to rub off on them, but it's going to be impactful. I remember Coach Foster. Uh, he was our, our, our head football coach in middle school. Coach Foster, there was a fight in the locker room, and it was one of my last chances. I'm sorry I'm calling you out, Coach. It was one of my last chances. The fight breaks out, and one of the windows by the cafeteria gets broken by yours truly. And campus PD's coming. I'm I'm getting ready to go because you know I caused school destruction. There was a fight. Yada yada yada. Coach Foster walks out into the hallway, snatches us both, pulls us into the locker room, tells us to sit down. Goes out into the hallway, explains to the campus PD that he was the one who had accidentally broken it. He was going to get it cleaned up and fixed. Saved me from the consequences of my behavior, and then came in and gave us a lashing that I will never forget. But but to know that that person was willing to risk things for my well-being 
made me have this sense of, I want to make him proud. I want to make him feel like he did that for a good reason. And I don't want to disappoint him. So when you said that thing that comes before all of that, it's the relationships, Mm -hmm. right? So present day Jonathan has a different perspective of his life now that he can look back, right? Um, So if you could go back and talk to yourself, you know, a little time travel here, back in time, um, and talk to your younger self, what would you tell yourself? And what would you want Jonathan's teachers to know too? You know, you could talk to yourself or the teachers or both. Yeah, I'd, I'd go tell Miss Hancock. I'm really sorry. Um, I was really mean to Miss Hancock. She was the AP at Willow Springs Elementary, and I was just—I wanted to make her pay for things that she never <laughs> deserved to pay for. But I was a mean little kid to her, and and for whatever reason, she just always came in with a soft voice and a comforting explanation. And I would tell her, "I'm sorry." I'd whisper to my younger self. Learn how to navigate conflict in a healthy way. Being a kid who experienced foster care, you don't have to be here, you can leave, was a method of dealing with conflict that I adopted as an adult where I can pick up my keys, jump in my truck and leave. And it caused a lot of destruction in my younger 20s and early 30s, right? So learning how to exercise and experience conflict in a healthy way would be a big whisper. And then another thing that I would tell my little, my younger self, younger Jonathan, is you're going to be so proud of who you are that you're going to want to help other people get there too. Hmm. Yeah, and I, it's interesting you talk specifically about dealing with conflict, and I, I just know last few years, I just think there's always been lots of trauma in schools, but. I think also my role this year, I'm kind of living in both the admin world and support and doing all these things. I've just seen so much trauma with our our students, especially our historically underrepresented students, and so much going on. But what I've also seen, which I'd be interested to hear about, you talk about conflict, is this just as a group of educators really embracing the importance of relationship, but also the importance of like teaching those skills and focus, taking time to have morning meetings, taking time to really embed social emotional learning practices. Um, Even if it's, Hey, before we go to recess today, let's look at all the strategies we talked about. So what strategy are you going to focus on today before, before you have a conflict at recess? Because, you know, our data says there's a lot of conflict happening at recess. So, Mm -hmm. but I, I think there's been a big shift at least where I am, I don't know this is true everywhere, um, to focus more on that and have provide opportunities for students that I know for a fact were not there, at least definitely not for my younger self or some of these other students. So I'm really appreciative of some of that work and how it can help. Are there any additional things that we got relationships, just that even talk about how like avoiding power struggles with students. It, I, you didn't say that, but that's kind of what right, I heard. Right. Right. Because right. uh, I can see, you know, there might be somewhere in that story where that did happen, didn't work out so well. But really knowing what's the motive behind the behavior mm-hmm. and thinking deeply about it. And so I just, yeah. yeah. I think one of the first things that, as an, as an educator, I want to recognize the fact that it's not e- it's not easy to deal with a kiddo like me and teach the other 25 in your classroom right 
It's not a, it's, it's, it goes beyond a skill or an ability, right? Because wearing you down as a teacher is the only responsibility I had. And you had 25 other kiddos in the classroom to be responsible for. And so acknowledging the fact that like, if you're not perfect at it right now, if you're not being successful at it, right, that is perfectly okay. You wanting to figure it out, you wanting and collaborating with your colleagues and saying, Hey, look, I know I'm not good at this, or I haven't even considered, right. Avoiding power struggles with my students in the classroom. The fact that you are acknowledging it and pursuing it is going to drastically impact the well-being of your students and yourself, right? Because our own well-being is is critical to the success of our students and ourselves. One way to elevate that work is to surround yourself with colleagues who are committed to not only impacting their student success, but also impacting the school success. So if you get in a group of educators who are just about equipping each other and helping each other and supporting each other. In some places we call them community groups, right? That collective educator agency is going to have an exponential impact on your student success, but also on your success as an educator. And so being brave and bold and saying, Hey, uh, I know you don't got a lot of time, but I'd love your help with blank. Right. And then being an educator who's willing to open up and say, Hey, you know what, let's game plan this. I don't know the answer, but let's try to figure this out. Right. Let's let's put our heads together. Let's tap into some experts that we know who are in our district or on our campus and let's create a plan to attacking this together. That is going to create some waves that is going to that's the system that I was talking about. Right. Mm -hmm. There's groups Mm -hmm. of educators dedicated to ensuring opportunity exists for every student in their school. And so when when they notice that one educator is struggling with a student then we want to make sure we collectively go over there and equip and support. And have, maybe it's not even saying anything. Maybe it's just like, I see you, Ms. Johnson. I see you and you did not snap on that kid. I'm so proud of you. Good job. <laughs> what can I do to help? Right? Because mm-hmm. maybe just my presence. I'm a, I'm a big boy. Maybe it's just my presence standing next to you at the door. Right? Or maybe it's me squatting down at the table and not trying to, to, to dominate and show my physical presence. Maybe it's me squatting down at the table and talking to the student eye to eye that completely changes the whole dynamic of the conversation. The thing that makes me excited is this idea of one thing that I know Avid is rich with is equipping educators with tools. And there's always this, this juggling of which tool do I use and how do I use it at the right time? And there's, there's this, this mantra or phrase I want educators to consider when you're trying to determine which strategy do I use Ask yourself, what is it that I want my students to learn? What do I want them to really learn? What skills do they need in order to deliver on that learning? Right? As a public speaking instructor, the ability to speak articulately and listen intentionally are critical if you're going to be successful in my class. So I pick strategies that help you practice that skill. I do empty my cup. I do 30-second expert. I do stand, share, sit. Because all of those are skills are strategies that are going to help you practice the skill that you're going to need to deliver on when you get tested, which in public speaking is the delivery of your speech. And so we always ask ourselves, what is it I want my students to learn? What strat- What skills do they need in order to deliver on that learning? What strategy can I leverage that will help them practice that skill so that eventually they can deliver on that learning? Mm-hmm. And you know what I think you just did, Jonathan? You segued us into the toolkit check it out check it out check it out what's in the toolkit what's what is in the toolkit what's in the toolkit check it out all right well we could go on and on talking about 
these things with Jonathan. Inspiring story. Um, really, you're you're a gentleman. You're a father. You're a leader. Yeah. You've made yeah. so so many positive impacts in the world, Jonathan. We're so happy mm-hmm. to have you with us today, and we're so that. happy that those teachers invested in you so that you could yeah. see the value you had in yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, funny Avid story. Um, the first time I did uh, staff developing for Avid, my Avid teacher was in my strand. <laughs> How funny! And so they came. It literally. Wow, came that's full circle. <laughs> Yeah, I got to be her teacher, her instructor. So that was pretty cool. She probably loved it. Yeah, she was a good student. <laughs> That's better than I was. <laughs> well, let's drop a couple things in the toolkit so um, so we can all build on on what we're doing. Uh, Rena, why don't you go ahead and give it a crack first? Well, there's so many things swimming in my head right now, but I think just some real practical things. Um, Jonathan alluded to this just around... Once you kind of have those learning outcomes, what skills do they need? What are some strategies? You can go and look for some of those strategies. Um, And I know at Avid Open Access, we have some things that you can access and use if you're not part of the larger Avid community yet. Um, So those are open to everyone. So go ahead. You can check that out there. And I'm thinking a a tool is sort of a mindset kind of a tool. Um, And that's to try to see beyond the behavior that you're seeing in students because you don't know why that student is acting that way. There, there could be some kind of a trauma. There could be a bad day. There could be something that's totally out of that student's control and they need you to be that stable force in that moment and care for them. And that's tough. As Jonathan said, you know, sometimes those, those uh, children don't come across as the most lovable at that moment, but they need us to do that and be that loving teacher. And can I actually add on there actually, and you I mean, Google it, whatever, there's actually a lot of really useful charts and maybe your school or district has one or maybe don't, but there's like the belief behind the behavior. Just put that in. You can find charts and actually I find it very helpful for me or to recenter sometimes when I'm in a coaching conversation or something and as Jonathan, like this kid just keeps disrupting and throwing chairs or whatever, but it's like, okay, let's stop. First of all, they're kids and let's be kind to kids and then but that's not it it's like what is what is the belief what is your belief behind this behavior but let's look more deeply and talk about this and that mindset change really then changes how we respond and act towards students and also kind of unflips our own brain brings us back to our thinking space because we are adults and can think in that way um so i find that those charts and conversations are really helpful paul yeah awesome and Jonathan, we want to bring you into this conversation too. I know there's something that's that you're passionate about. And I'd like to give you a chance to talk about it, and that's the uh, Avid Speakers Bureau. You want to talk about that just a bit? Yeah. So the Avid Speakers Bureau is something that I was lucky enough to be a part of at a really young age. So I started working for Avid when I was 18 years old, and that's literally how I was able to pay for my undergrad experience. I would go and do a speech and take that little chunk of change and put it towards my financial aid in the office and then pay by, by some groceries. And ultimately that led into becoming a, a professional speaker and traveling across the United States, speaking in auditoriums and conferences and schools um, everywhere. And so the Avid Speakers Bureau is a way where you can tap in to Avid and get a speaker to show up uh, for convocation or your educators, professional learning experiences and share stories like myself or, or 
Patrick Briggs. Patrick Briggs is another one. If I don't know if hopefully I'm pretty sure your audience have heard of Patrick Briggs, but if you <laughs> you want to get blown away by a dynamic educator who's got some tools and some resources for equipping you with what to do, that that guy is 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 one that I tap into a lot. But it's it's a it's a resource that we offer to educators across the country where you can call all the speakers be able to have an inspirational conversation and then a follow-up. Okay, we're inspired. How do we make this happen? Kind of experience. But if you don't mind, I'd love to add to the toolkit too, if that's okay. Yeah, please do. Please do. This entire experience was centered around this idea of something that resonates with me a lot is this idea that learning happens in the reflection. And so if learning happens in the reflection, it's essential that we ourselves and we also equip our students with the ability to reflect intentionally. And so a really quick strategy, I love it. It's super fun. It helps build relational capacity. It helps with academic content knowledge. It's called a three, two, one, where you ask students to share three high fives, two whispers, and one future. You get them writing that down, standing up, talking to one another about that. The high fives help you recognize what you do well, because that's going to help influence who you're going to become. The whispers, help you become aware of how you would navigate obstacles and barriers, right? How would I deal with that situation differently? How would I have that conversation better? How would I prepare myself for that experience in the, in the future? And then the future can, helps you keep your eyes fixated on the future with one question, is what I'm doing today contributing to who I want to become tomorrow? Hmm. If not, then I got to make a little change. If so, I got to keep on trooping on. That's awesome. I love that, Jonathan. Mm. Which, I mean, that takes that's kind of leads us right into our one thing because that's a pretty strong thing you just shared <laughs> it was Whew, i mean i'm not gonna steal it i let it chomp in live in the toolkit <laughs> we'll go into the one teachers thing. steal things though rena it's okay yeah. we it's repurpose we and read okay. oh repurpose so, that's a better word yeah <laughs> <laughs> let's go ahead and jump into one thing it's time for that one thing All right. Okay. Paul, you want to start us off here? Yeah. My one thing, don't give up on kids. You you cannot judge somebody's future self for who they are and their present self. You got to give kids a chance. Um, there's stuff going on. Don't give up. And I just, I really loved the point. We said, let's go back to the first thing, but really how relationship is the wrapping around everything. Mm -hmm. So how building that relational capacity and it ties in with not giving up because, I don't, you know, you can be mean to me or my you're perceived mean to me and just knowing that I'm still going to fight for me to have a positive relationship with you and build that relational capacity how important that is because without that like you mentioned you might not have opened up to your teacher that day and who knows it's just a moment in time mm -hmm. so always be thinking about it jonathan i would have to say be brave and activate your community around you there are brilliant talented educators the only reason why anyone has ever told me i was a good educator is because i big broad and stealed all the brilliance from phenomenal educators that i learned from so be brave in activating your community around you. Ask for help and help those who need it. Because together, there's nothing we can't overcome and there's not a student we can't impact. Well said. I feel like that is a wonderful spot just to let that linger. 
think deeply about it. I, I do want to thank you, Jonathan, so much for joining us today and sharing your story. I could hear it again and again, and I just appreciate your truth in sharing that. And I know our, our listeners appreciate it as well. So thank you so much. Well, thank you all for your time and energy. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks for listening to Unpacking Education. We invite you to visit us at avidopenaccess.org, where you can discover resources to support student agency, equity, and academic tenacity to create a classroom for future-ready learners. We'll be back here next Wednesday for a fresh episode of Unpacking Education. And remember, go forth and be awesome. Thank you for all you do. You make a difference.